I'm not sure if it's interplanetary or intergalactic, but it is V'ger, please. A hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I am your long-lost holographic son, Peter. Yeah, son. Go with son. Mm -hmm. Before we launch into the discussion of this week's episode, we have our sort of V'ger, please, side hustle to discuss, and that is the, I guess you would call it video game successor to, to Star Trek, which is Mass Effect. Spiritual have, successor, yeah. Spiritual successor, if nothing else. To the joy and consternation of many, I guess, is the way to describe it. The uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is a, was, was supposed to be a, basically an upscale slash improvement suite for the trilogy inclusive of all the dlc came out basically across platform and pc this week and uh, i have said that i was not going to purchase it because you said you were and that way i was going to be able to feed on your praise or rage depending on your feelings so peter what did you think i bought it on steam where i was very disappointed um i mean 60 bucks right so your triple a title and uh, the Steam launch for me was real rocky, and I've got a, I've got a hoss ass computer, so the frame rate and everything, it was a mess. It didn't stream right. I wanted to play it upstairs on my big TV through the computer through Steam Play. No good. I returned it. I got it on PS4 Pro. It runs fucking amazing. Very, uh, very smooth. Very enjoyable. I got to tell you, man. Um, I am a huge Mass Effect fan. Maybe to my own detriment in this particular instance, because I started up a new character. I went with uh, Fem Shep Engineer because I like that power suite in Mass mm -hmm. Effect One, and I started playing. Um, the visuals are certainly there. I haven't gotten into enough combat to see like what the the cover mechanic really is, like how true to the original it is, or if they want like a two three style. But like I'm playing, I get to. The Citadel and just the overwhelming amount of content in that game kind of just thundered down on me in that moment as I start that quest where like that dude up in the council chambers wants you to like scan all the keepers. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, God, do I want to do this? Because some of these things are like hidden. And it's when I realize like I know this game inside and out. I know the dialogue before these guys like I played through that game at least three times. Right. Right. Of course. Soldier adept engineer. And then I think it started like an infiltrator. Like you sat through every single one of those minute and a half elevator rides on your Xbox. That is Didn't... dope. The fucking elevators like zoop, right up. Right. <laughs> right. But I'm like, uh, I'm. What am I going to get something new and enjoyable out of this? Or am I going to just sit through 30 hours of gameplay I have memorized for the first entry alone that I just spent $60 on when I have like a million and one other games to play still. And I'm, I've kind of been floundering. Uh, and then of course, foolishly in the meantime, I picked up a, the Oculus quest too. So uh, my life's a mess. I watched quite a few people stream it on release day. Um, Mass Effect one does not appear to have received the upgrades that I I was genuinely hoping and dreaming that it would like my wish list for Mass Effect one was the following to like make it playable in a modern sense, make the Mako not suck, make it so that the inventory system 
was something just like 50% less ass. Doesn't have to be completely revamped, but do something to it where it doesn't become an absolute albatross around your neck by the time you hit a third of the way through the game. And then uh, third, improve the visuals enough that it doesn't feel like, you know, if you played like Knights of the Old Republic recently, oh, it's no. not it's not a good experience because <laughs> it's have... like watching paper. It's like paper mache <laughs> like, when they offered with each other. When they advertised on my phone to download KOTOR, I was like, man, if if my if my cell phone can run KOTOR, that is not a game I want to be involved with at this stage of life. And it looks like they were one for three. The visuals look a little bit better. Not that much better, but I like good enough. And the inventory is untouched. The Mako still sucks. Gameplay looks mostly the same. Like there's the cover mechanic does look a little bit more Mass Effect 2-y. They tried to add some action elements to it. I didn't watch enough to see, you know, how much more improved it is. I I don't know. I guess maybe there's just more work to do there than they were willing to do to really make it it, an improved, a modern game. Mass Effect 2, to this day, holds up great. Played it again recently, as I said in one of our uh, Patreon shows. Was fantastic. Beginning to end. Uh, but man, Mass Effect 1 is just not good in my opinion. And I don't think that this, this, what they've done here makes me want to play it. ME1, I still think is great. It's just, it's too much. And I've memorized it. I'm, I'm not getting anything new out of the experience. I'll play it a little bit more because I put 60 in and I have to justify it. Also, it's easy to play in front of my kids as long as I'm not going after like sexy time with Liara's butt. But, <laughs> um, it's a big proposition, and it was one thing for me to do as a single guy without kids, but now married with children, I got other things to do with the collective 80 hours it's going to take to rip through that game. But I'm sure it'll be on sale soon enough for 20 bucks, $15, and then, yeah, grab it. But I would recommend going, like, PlayStation. Although, hard stop. Like, how are you not going to put fucking Mass Effect 3 multiplayer in, like, that is the only game I've ever played on Xbox Live was Mass Effect 3 multiplayer. It's so good. The loot boxes, it was so addictive, and I loved it. I just rubbed it all over my face, and it was great. And, and to see them leaving that out, like, fuck you. Why not just make that thing a standalone free game that they can just mine microtransactions out of and ride it off into the sunset like EA is known to do? I was waiting to hear that. I, I knew the moment you found that out. I Infuriating. Was infuriating you were the biggest mass effect 3 multiplayer stand i knew because that game came out by the time we had become friends Mm -hmm. i remember how hard in the paint you were about it back then yeah man my guess juggernaut melee build fuck yeah i am shocked that they didn't do it but i guess maybe they didn't think it would be popular enough but uh they've come out since the release to say oh you guys really want this huh <laughs> you know and like I the, want EA the loot suits boxes are, are hovering over them after like with the wreckage of anthem behind them like generate cash <laughs> like okay maybe i want to win that harrier and the matlock rifle again uh so hey star trek right uh yeah, shout out would... to delta flyers which apparently hid the juicy gossip about why Jennifer Lean was dismissed behind a fucking Patreon paywall, which classic <laughs> classic maneuver tease, yeah. tease, tease, put that bitch in premium. It's just, you had to see that one coming. 
I mean, with us, what do we? What's the most juicy thing we've hidden behind paywall content? Uh, talk only... about uh, <laughs> cyberpunk, I think. Cyberpunk and Mass Effect, <laughs> like, and we just and we just outed the, the, the Mass Effect stuff for free. And if you just hated the past nine minutes of this podcast, you're going to hate our Patreon content. Yeah, but most of our Patreon content, we wind up releasing the episodes. There's some, uh, you know, little little discussions you and I have. We kind of leave exclusive up there, but yeah. you know, there's certainly nothing I would call juicy. Yeah, just our nitpicky conversations and all the dick pics. Yeah, 100, 120% of our dick pics. <laughs> All right. Speaking of dicks, Joe. Yeah. Anybody out there in the podcast audience that isn't ready to listen to me, S. Robert Picardo's D, for the next <laughs> hour, go ahead and turn this bitch off because that's where we're going. Season six, episode 24, Lifeline, Joe. What a fucking pleasure. <laughs> what? I, I told you that this was all the maximum amount of Robert Picardo that can be prescribed by your doctor. I was not lying. What a lovely, touching episode. One of the best Star Trek episodes I think I may have ever watched. I was completely unprepared for how into this shit I would end up being. And man, like as a person who has sat through years of watching Star Trek Voyager for the first time now, like so many pieces came together in this and just built a fucking amazing episode. Truly, Robert Picardo is such an actor without peer among the Voyager crew that the only way that they can make it so that he could have someone that could compete with him in a scene is to have him act against himself. Am I right or am I right? I'm going to read you this quote from Memory Alpha, which in a rare moment of recent history is not completely fucking worthless. Robert Picardo enjoyed playing two roles in this episode. And I quote, I play not only the doctor, but his programmer, Dr. Lewis Zimmerman. So I achieved a lifelong ambition of working with an actor who I admired. Of course, the hardest thing about acting with myself is coming up to my own level. It was very demanding, but also very generous as I an actor. I gave myself everything I felt I deserved and more. God bless this man. <laughs> <laughs> and not just because he, he did the cameo for our episode. <laughs> we like him already. We still like him. And this is just a master class of him. Uh, just kind of just knocking just it out of the fucking park, taking off in the free throw line and throwing it in the hoop, <laughs> you know, just boom shakalaka. So it's important to frame that not only is he playing two separate roles in this episode, but Robert Picardo uh, also has writing credits, right? Yeah, he has the story credit, so he didn't script write it. He basically did the outline with someone else on it and then turned it over to, looks like Robert Doherty, Ralph Green, which are not names I'm familiar with, and of course, Brandon Braga. I don't, I almost feel like we should just sit here and try and like find things to nitpick so we can get those out of this way before we get into slobbing on the knob that is lifeline. Like, is there any big standout things you think were bad on this? There was like some sloppy green screen and like a couple of the shots. But that's that's more an artifact of the time. You know, like it's just something that still weren't nailed down on a TV budget. Um, your standard. Uh, the blocking was weird sometimes. Because Line of they, sight was weird. Yeah. yeah, it's always hard to do because. 
you have the takes you like and then you've got to try and make them work and they don't always perfectly line up and it's like you know i I can see from the director's perspective he's obviously wants the power of the performance more than he cares that uh eye contact was actually correct you know and there wasn't a little just drift of the head here or there and it's like oh it's not worth trying to do another take for that you know or it's too late right you you especially for the amount of energy that they're bringing there's a lot of yelling and there's a lot of like high emotion acting so yeah i'm sure you get that magic taken it's like all right he's technically looking at this guy's forehead but it's going to be what it's going to be the only thing i can really throw mud on this thing with is um troy feels very shoehorned like it 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 feels it feels like the bogo they got from marina sirtis for doing the doing pathfinder (laughs) yeah like it was marina and dwight where they having like a fucking fling on the side and and one was like squeezing the other in She didn't feel necessary. It was certainly nice to see her and I enjoyed her presence on screen. But like probably did. They probably didn't shoot these sequentially. They probably shot this and Pathfinder relatively close to each other while they had everyone there. And that's, you know, hey, we got Marina for how many days? Let's put her in this one. Let's see. Hold on a second. It's this is the 141 of 168 produced. And then previous to that was what Pathfinder 128. No, I mean, that's a that's a big jump. And I was going to say it looks like they spent some time to actually give Barkley a uniform that fit him correctly. Yeah, maybe that's not correct. But I I guess, you know, you you decide you wanted to bring someone in for the season. I don't know how contracts work. Maybe it is that that whatever rate they got to do bring her in twice was better than doing bringing her in once. You know, I will never be sad to see Troy on screen. They did a good um, job with her. They used her correctly. Yeah, I thought the ice cream offering was a bit too much. Um, but it was a it was a syndic- indicator on on screen of the aha moment. That's all that was. Hmm. Was it gets offered? We'll, we'll get into that. You know what? Let's let's start talking about the episode. So before we we discuss the particulars of the episode let's talk about dr zimmerman for a second because there's some context you don't have so lewis zimmerman we've seen him show up as essentially a facsimile version of him in the program that was the maintenance program for the emh was real early voyager episode i'm thinking it was season two it's round when you know the doctor's personality is expanding and he has a crisis of like his program can't handle it and they end up like stapling his program to the maintenance program to give him enough space. He actually showed up in DS nine as well. And there was an entire episode essentially devoted to Lewis Zimmerman being on DS nine for plot reasons related to creating another holographic doctor. And so he got more established as an actual character there. And uh, this of course is a continuation of that from, from DS nine. That was you know, probably three or four years before this episode was filmed. I honestly can't remember what his portrayal felt like in that episode where he was the maintenance subroutine. Um, do you recall if uh, his portrayal in was a Dr. Bashir, I presume? Yes. Did that seem similar to how he is presented here? Yes, very much so. Uh, including being kind of rude and awkward and very good with holograms and not good with people. 
uh, of all of the character traits we saw on uh, on display here. And in the timeline of things, did his appearance on Deep Space Nine predate this interaction here? Oh, yeah, that his appearance on DS9 was years prior to this episode, because he says it was been four years since I've been off the Jupiter station, right? Yeah, it's probably right, because DS9 had ended, you know, a couple of years prior to this. And I think he was in like season six. No, season five. He was in season five of DS9. So I was going to say, it feels like this is a a lived in character when we are presented here. That is. And that's why he's he's had an opportunity to sort of figure this version of the character out. Um, so on to Jupiter Station, which looks like four galaxy class saucers parked on top of each other. The the only time Jupiter Station has ever been on screen ever, despite being mentioned repeatedly throughout Trek's history. Like people talk about Jupiter Station endlessly in Enterprise. It gets mentioned on TNG. It gets mentioned on DS9. This is it. This is the only time you see it and are inside it. Pretty cool. You know, we've seen Stardock a lot, but this is a this is some new stuff. We've got a type two shuttle craft flying towards there. Uh, Old Barkley at the helm. Like I said, hold on, hold on. What was the name of the shuttle craft? I couldn't hear uh, and I didn't want to turn closed captions on. What is it? You know, they they have a uh, a tendency to try and use real life scientists when it comes to this sort of thing, or at least people who are scientists in the Star Trek universe. It was the shuttlecraft Dawkins, which is clearly a reference to Richard Dawkins, who is actually a very much still alive scientist. I'm stupid. I don't know who Dawkins is. You want to film? It's okay. Me? Shh. It's gonna be okay, buddy. I know you're <laughs> you're you're big dumb ape. You know you spend most of your time in college at your frat house. It's fine. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Um. So we got where's Barclay. the where's the lie. <laughs> He's got a Barkley in a uniform that fits and is pleasantly absent of uh, white cat hair, a.k.a. Neelix. He docks with the station and pops in to visit a very sour old Dr. Zimmerman who starts throwing sass right off the jump. It's, uh, you know, Picardo in a little bit older makeup, you know, graying the hairs, giving him some sort of sickly vibe on the skin. Uh, He's got like the... uh, I guess you would call it 24th century loungewear. I was going to say he's got a wardrobe that looks like it's picked out of the leftovers from Steven Tyler from uh, Aerosmith. It's just like loose flowing floral print robes. You know what? It seems very comfortable. <laughs> all right. I am vibing where he is vibing. All right. Mm-hmm. I we, We've all spent the last you know near year plus in these in these isolation chambers of our homes let's face it that, that we can identify with this kind of aesthetic now sure i like the the shade that he's thrown like oh nice of you to finally swing by uh disrespecting the hell out of voyager calling it pathfinder or what well, pioneer, no, pioneer. <laughs> and you know despite the prickliness we see what's very clearly a a strong friendship between two people who are very awkward, but uh, relate to each other. And in that there's, there's a, there's a bond. The big reveal in this teaser part of the episode, of course, is that uh, Lewis Zimmerman informs Barkley in a suitably TV dramatic way that he is dying. And then they cut back 
to the credits after that revelation is made. So we kind of already know from the jump where this is going immediately. I see a roadmap. And, oh, obviously, they're going to beam the doctor over and he's going to try and fix his dad in some sort of weird Frankenstein story. Um, I, I see the path and I say out loud, this is the episode I want. Good. <laughs> Give me this thing. Ramrod this into my face. Writer's room, please. So Barkley mentioned in the teaser that they had had just figured out a way to communicate with Voyager. And we get a neat shot of an implication of how it is they're doing it. And then they later explain how they're doing it. They're using the Midas array to basically bounce the Takya beam off the main deflector dish through a pulsar that amplifies it so that the end result is now... Uh, Starfleet can actually make direct contact via transgalactic collect calls who, you know, they pick up, they accept the charges. It's a little staticky, but they can trade information every 30 days. I guess it's kind of hokey that, again, Starfleet would know exactly where to bombard an area with subspace signals to, to hit it in the general right thing given how Voyager's prone to jump 10 years ahead or behind in the journey. But you did it once, you've got a clearance to do it again, and it certainly tells a story I want to hear. So, uh, yeah, cool. I'm down. Let's do it. We also find out that uh, Voyager is now officially 30,000 miles from uh, 30,000 light years uh, from home, uh, which is uh, means they've traveled 40,000 light years in the Thanks, first Cass. almost six years of the journey. Solid quarter of that is, in fact, due to Kess. Uh, but yeah, they, this is the first time we have established a regular two-way communication with Starfleet, ever. Uh, and this is something that continues to get built upon and grows from this point forward. There's continuity on this point, I'm happy to tell you. Uh, and of course, everyone on Voyager is pretty excited. Like, this is a big step. We're going to finally be able to talk to our you know, people we can send notes home. They can give us tactical information. Uh, they're sending deep space exploration ships our way. Like things are happening. They are trying to get us home and they are finally, uh, you know, calling us collect and it's you know, staticky and we can only speak for a couple minutes, but we're doing this. We're dialing down the center with 10, 10, 1-800 collect was my <laughs> go-to from the payphone. Man, talk about dating ourselves. Holy shit. Payphone collect calls. The the Kess episode we just watched, Fury. Uh, I don't care what people said in the trauma support group. You're all wrong. That birthday scene sucked. It had no point in the fucking episode, and it should have been cut. Um, none of that going on here. And the little bit of time that we do spend on Voyager is used very well. Uh, we're, we're jumping pretty far out of line here, but you get a powerful scene with Janeway, who is very distraught. She's got a private communication from Admiral Hayes. And the gist of that is that Hayes wants to check in on a couple of things, casualty reports, um, you know, people they've encountered. And uh, hey, by the way, what's up with the Maquis? And that does... A big favor, I think the show has neglected, which is remembering that, oh, yeah, like, uh, you know, a third of the crew at this point are a bunch of terrorists who we were supposed to arrest. And what is going to happen to these guys now that they're the last remaining vestiges of the terrorist Maquis organization in the universe? It, 
it is essentially the only scene on Voyager after the Doctor leaves, right? Like, that's it. That is the only scene back on Voyager. It's in the middle of the episode. I um, love Chakotay's dialogue because he's like, you know, because Jane was kind of like, you know, I don't see you this way and this and, and you know, your crew. And as far as I'm concerned, I've forgotten about it. And he's like, yeah, well, we didn't forget. <laughs> Every day I put on this turtleneck and put this, uh, you know, provisional rank pin on my neck. Mm-hmm. I am reminded that I am another. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they fucking hate it. I don't know if you know, but did you read Bellana's mission reports on uh, Greek Topia? Like she ripped the prime directive in half on purpose to be in a play and she transported like we we're not Starfleet. So he says, you know, we haven't forgotten, but hey, whatever we're going to do one way or the other is a very long way off in the distance. Let's just focus on the good right now and not sweat these details. But uh, I'm seeing some pretty cool foreshadowing going on here. It's kind of a shame that the show ends where it ends, which I'm not trying. I'm not going to spoil anything about the ending, but clearly like the show ends and there isn't an epilogue, you know, and you spoiler in the broadest sense, they get home, right? Like that is happens. You already knew that because you've seen Admiral Janeway. Mm -hmm. There is no epilogue on screen to ever actually pay off something like this, right? Like what does happen to everyone when they get home? Now I have books that actually one of our fans, Jess McConville uh, got it me that like are the after Voyager gets home novels. And there's a podcast I listen to of a guy who's, who hates those novels and kind of thinks in the same space we do about like mm-hmm. what would happen once they get home. Um, and he's kind of basically creating his own season eight podcast for Voyager. So there's a lot of, creative space there that people try to explore. But the the part about the scene I hate is like, yeah, that is cool. Nothing's ever going to happen. To continue that thought, you must resume in Star Trek online with some DLC. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Like there's, there's just nothing to go. There's nowhere to go with any of this because I, even at the time it's like, are they actually going to ever have a problem? Cause it's, they don't need idea, but just it's a dead end, creative dead end. Because I think the main creative force, again, wants to distance itself from the truth that these guys uh, are Maquis and do not belong. I was also thinking about while listening to uh, the the Fury podcast, Carrie, right? Joe Carrie. Joe Carrie cleaning the assault rifles and smoking the dubs. Hitting on seven of nine, even though he's married with three sons. Yep. Like... So there was limited interaction with Starfleet through the um, the the what the hell was there? the Herogen relay, right? Correct. That was the first time they made contact with home. All the stuff to relay over and you're not going to put the casualty report over like that's that's, that's weird. Real shitty. And 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 just like what a dick move for Jamie to be like, all right, we're going to tell everybody at home we're still alive and all of the people that. I, Catherine Janeway, through my actions, have gotten killed, be it through my selfishness and blowing up the Onkapa. Uh, what, my alliance with the Borg that allowed them to continue to exist. Appointing uh, Space Rat as a crisis team leader so he could have Hogan stand on X and get eaten by a sandworm. <laughs> like, all this blood on my hands. 
the family's at home. I'm going to install all of this false hope that, yay, we get to see daddy again. No, actually, he dies in some episode we haven't watched yet. Or I mean, they, he, she sent all of their logs uh, the last time they made contact in Pathfinder. One assumes she would have logged the death of someone like Hogan. Like, alas, poor Hogan died upon the the Southern California rock planet to a monster that the cat <laughs> fed him to. <laughs> Or like, or or crewman Jonas got thrown into space hell. Also, by because Neelix. he was a treacherous piece of shit. Also, Seska turned out to be an obsidian order agent. <laughs> like, who'd have thunk it? Anyway, whatever. The rest of this episode doesn't matter because the real core of this is that when they got the original message from Starfleet and included a note from Barkley that went directly to the Doctor. And it was Barkley telling the doctor on Voyager, hey, you may or may not care about this, but your creator, Louis Zimmerman, is sick with a terminal disease no one can figure out. Here's his biomedical information. Can you take a look at it? You've seen some shit out there, I'm sure. Maybe you can help. Attached as a script for the rest of the episode, because this is what we are going to be doing for goddamn sure. A Silver Star Effort Award, by the way, in the scenes after this for Jerry Ryan, who has to convey a sort of polite exasperation with the doctor as he uh, toots his own horn at maximum volume, (laughs) preparing for what is eventually his big ask, which is I need to go back to the Alpha Quadrant and treat my creator before he dies, where uh, she has this sort of endearingly polite disdain for how egotistically is, but she says nothing. You just see the little, little sighs, little eye rolls, just, just enough in the background is to say, yes, someone on screen is acknowledging how stupid this is. I love it all. I like the, the, the request when the EMH approaches Jane and says, Hey, I want you to take, all that stuff you wanted to send to Starfleet this month and bench it so I can beam home and fix my dad. And Janeway's like, that's bad for a bunch of reasons, mainly because like every other week we're fighting off uh, Omega level threats and we need our doctor. And he's like, no, come on. The helmsman. Ensign helmsman. He, he can run everything just fine in my absence. And it's like, okay, well that's, that's a big fucking lie. We've already done this once. Yeah, and it was a bad idea then. (laughs) Like, come on now. His logic is excellent in this, though, where he's like, listen, it's my dad. I owe it to him. And also, by the way, everybody on this ship and maybe other parts of Starfleet. Oh, anybody that an EMH has saved owes their life to this guy. And, you know, he doesn't mention any of this stuff, but it's like, You've had us look under every rock and and scan every twig between here and Earth for exploration. And it's our mission to explore and this and that. And like, here's the payoff, right? We have learned things in the Delta Quadrant that nobody else has encountered. There's a real payoff to it. And what a great chance to start contributing and, and making all of the sacrifices uh, that you have put us through worth it, right? It's actually the idealist utopian argument that he makes, not just the the 
you know, I owe this to my dad, but also the, I, we can help, we can do this. There is a risk. We accept risk as Starfleet officers to do the right thing. How often have you risked things, you know, to, to do the right thing? That's what I'm asking for the right to do. It, it's still a silly and foolish risk that, that uh, the captain ultimately permits to take place, but I can buy it a little bit more than I could, in some of the other kind of ridiculous circumstances where these kinds of asks have happened in the past, it's still weak. I don't think it's super justifiable to say, yeah, you can go back and save one person. You know, we're going to be entirely experimental data compression. That's never been tried with a hologram ever. We're just going to take the most important member of our crew and beam them across the universe and hope all your photons don't, wind up scattered across uh from i've here to, seen to so much stuff stupider happen in this show <laughs> that this is water off a duck's back right janeway was willing to let him leave the ship forever and ever to go be a fucking opera singer on the assholes planet yeah no i grant i i am agreeing with you that there have been stupider things that janeway has permitted to have happen so by comparison this seems downright logical but in in the blind, this is still dumb as hell. Uh, again, the fact that it's a guy who has saved a lot of lives, the favor being returned, like I buy it 100 percent. But there's a problem, and that's they have a limited amount of data that they are able to transmit. And the doctor is too fat. They need to trim the fat. <laughs> this is where the great. Content where are the doctors double chins and 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 beer belly? What what are we going to trim off on him? Well, painting and photography and sexual activity, sexual activities, which I'm saying should be the name of this episode because they fucking dropped that when I was like, Dr. Pell. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was holographic family that Bolana fucked up. Remember? Oh, I'm sure he was fucking crushing it in there, too. Yeah, sure. You gotta make those adorable blonde uh, holographic children that end up dying tragically somehow, man. Yeah, I got two gigaquads of uh, very emotional time with your daughter on her deathbed. Can we cut that one out? Yeah, maybe just leave that one on the shelf for good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they they get them all trimmed up and and uh, they send them off, and then the real episode starts when he shows up uh, on Jupiter Station after Barkley rolls in with them, and. The key conflict that we see play out here is Zimmerman's absolute recalcitrance at being treated by an EMH Mark I. And the best part of this episode is how it is that they very slowly but very purposefully give you the reasons as, as to why Zimmerman's acting this way. Because it does not seem logical or rational at all that he would reject you know, a possible medical treatment from someone on kind of these weird esoteric technical grounds. Like this person has the knowledge to save you. Why, why are you not accepting it? And they do a good job of steadily making reveals out of the episode as to, to why Zimmerman's got all this damage when it comes to the Mark one. And it ends up being extraordinarily personal and phenomenally done on Picardo's part to, play a very angry personally aggrieved somewhat dr e persona versus the character that we have grown 
to know and love and appreciate in the EMH himself and how they conflict. It's beautiful. I was not expecting the reasoning that they end up presenting for the doctor to harbor these negative feelings about the Mark one, the shame, um, the regret, uh, the, the, the wounded ego and, uh, the dashed hopes and dreams, like the amount of depth they put into, uh, Dr. Zimmerman is so above and beyond what your average Voyager episode is able to produce that it, it really, it stunned me. Um, Zimmerman's lab on Jupiter station is almost like this Island of Dr. Moreau. It is. You've got, except not nearly as fucked up. <laughs> there's no, fa- do we, we talked about Island of Dr. Moreau, right? Yeah. You talked about the documentary about it. The documentary is fucking amazing. <laughs> uh, but you know, he's got a, he's got an iguana that can talk named Larry He's got a fly that was developed for like spy purposes. Section yeah. 31, basically to like a sentient fly that can go in like reconnaissance things. Um, what else? Oh, the, the lab assistant. Yeah. So Haley is the name of the lab assistant who is not revealed to be a hologram at first. Uh, it, she, she seems very much to be a person. She has all of the emotion and depth of a person would clearly very affectionate in a familial sense with Zimmerman specifically sentient. I mean, she's clearly aware of her condition. Yeah, uh, straight out. Uh, And it is only after Troy shows up and says, yeah, you must be a hologram because I'm not reading any emotion off of you. You know, like, how long have you been online? Like, if I weren't a psychic, I wouldn't know you're not a person. And of course, um, you know, Barkley plays along fine with her because these are all uh, well-worn character habits that he has, which is acknowledging holograms as real people, too. We've had so many. This is why I love this episode. We've had so many discussions about artificial intelligence, virtual intelligence, um, pushing holograms and programs in Berman era past their initial design parameters like. This was a great realization of a lot of uh, hypothesizing. We would have like, what would the, the doctors ever do if he did see how something that's supposed to be on for two hours has been on for six years? And it looks to me like this is kind of well-worn territory from him just by his lab assistant alone, like. These aren't strange and rare and unusual occurrences. Like there's people out there really doing this stuff and it's well-worn territory. And it just fits so perfectly that someone like Barkley, who's had problems with hollow addiction, his really his best friend is a hollow programmer who doesn't have hollow addiction, but also real appreciates the sentience of his holographic creations more than probably the normal person would specifically in the person of Haley, his assistant uh, to the point where when he gets confronted by her about it, it's one of the more like gotcha moments. The, sh- the show ends up developing where he look looks ashen and regretful that he ever implicated that a hologram would be anything less than a person to him, you know, mm-hmm. cause he fucking knows better. Um, so yeah, it does 
kind of bring all of that into the story without making it about the story. It's, it's the complications of not just the, the creation and the creator, the Frankenstein element that you're talking about. I'll be in a very much more positive way, uh, but also the deep and personal suffering that comes with abject humiliation ends up actually being the real part of the story. Yes. And it, it begins as such a paint by numbers story that, of course, Dr. Zimmerman's prickly and a jerk because the EMH is prickly and a jerk and and they're oil and water and they just can't find a way to work together despite some very earnest efforts uh, by the EMH. And I love and the image, by the way, clearly has the answer to his problem, because apparently whatever disease Zimmerman has, it's like the phage, the early like stages of the phage. The doctor's a like plus wrapping that in hot on the tail of fury. Yeah. Right. And yeah, the doctor's like, I know how to treat this. I've got Borg regeneration techniques. Again, Delta Quadrant knowledge. A plus putting a cure in there that should make the average Federation citizen go, ew. Yes. No fucking way. Am I letting you put a Borg nanoprobes in my blood? So there is these thing, these signposts built into the episode that kind of point to the reason why Zimmerman's hesitant. You're obsolete. I don't be treated by obsolete technology. You want to you want to put Borg shit in me. I've had and the Mark a, four and five already look at me. And in, that's even the angle that uh, Troy falls into because Troy thinks that the issue is, oh, you, he's just hesitant because you're an out of date piece of technology. I'll try and bridge you both together. And it ends up falling apart in front of her because she doesn't really understand what's motivating Zimmerman. And it isn't until the very end of the episode that you finally get that revealed and the doctor and Zimmerman have to figure that out between them. And the, the, you know, the, the, the arc is pretty simplistic. They have a lot of good comedy scenes, you know, a lot of good emotion between the two of them where he wants to treat them. He wants to, you know, they're trying to connect. The doctor is the doctor. He's, he's trying to be earnest and impress him and he's a little bit more bubbly as a as a result and is obviously more nuanced. But Zimmerman just seems closed off, closed-minded, insulting, doesn't want to be of assistance. It's frustrating. Tells him both. fuck off. He has the powerful reveal uh, that the Mark I was determined to be a failure, uh, that all of the Mark Ones have been retired from their medical capacity and now are used for slave labor essentially scrubbing carbon off of uh power generators or some sort of like real dangerous ass shit and that of course takes us back to god what was the one with the squirrely aliens chestburster guy murder oh, hologram yeah. yeah the the second murder hologram that balana had to confront <laughs> was it the second or the third i mean that that was real hot in the uh the era of all ai tries to kill balana it was. It was. It was the peak of those days because the doctor was at was involved in that adventure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that episode, which I'm not going to bother looking up right now, uh, the alien hologram, which I believe he was called an isomorph, they were slaves. They were used for hazmat situations, and for Zimmerman to say, "Yes, that's what we've embraced in." the learned federation um and he's there's a lot of disdain for starfleet coming out of zimmerman on this stuff he's never in a uniform at any point by the way which is different he was in a uniform when we saw him in ds9 
Yeah. Just FYI. Um, you know, he uh, he wounds the EMH pretty good saying like, yeah, you're a piece of shit. And we, you know, we've been introduced to other. Was it the Mark II? Was it Andy Dick? Yeah, it was Mark the Mark II? II that was was Andy Dick. Yes. So, you know, the EMH knows the stuff's coming, but to really have it hammered in by your own creator that you're a piece of shit, like really good emotional wounding. Because, again, like you said, um, EMH comes back with like all the best intentions, very proud of his accomplishments and very much looking forward to showing off to his creator and saying, look at look at how well I've done. Aren't you proud of me? Only have the door slammed in his face. So, you know, they start playing off each other. Like you said, it's, it's pretty paint by numbers. There's a great scene in there where uh, the EMH is still refusing to give up and uh, tricks Zimmerman with uh, changing what he looks like. So he's like a alien sexy lady giving him a back massage. Like the same sexy back massage alien ladies from Star Trek Insurrection. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And like while he's like really getting we know that the doctor gives a good back massage, right? We've seen him give him to uh, Janeway before. And like while he's really getting in there with his elbow, he's like sneaking out the medical tri corner and sneaking his scans. Uh, and that's kind of where like the major blow up happens. And keep in mind, this is like over the course of a whole month here, right? So there's some real work getting put in. This isn't a, a, a five minute attempt to save the Talaxians and then we give up. Eventually in the episode, Barkley rings up on FaceTime. Uh, Deanna Troy and is like, I need professional help trying to mend the bridge between these two. I don't know if you remember, but I'm kind of a crazy person myself. I am not. A, I am not able to mend this relationship. And she's like, well, I'm on a mission, you know, on the Federation flagship where we do important things and not not important things like this. And Reg is like, come on and she's like oh okay reginald i'll be right there <laughs> and i guess takes a shuttle back to jupiter station all i could see in my face is like troy going to picard being like i have to help reginald with and then just the picard face which wounds me because now i hate picard and these are painful <laughs> memories to put me through well you couldn't have she could have just lied be like reginald is you know has another crazy disease uh, I'm going to go handle it. I think know. Reginald's going to stab people. <laughs> you know how he is, Captain. <laughs> um, th- th- she shows up. You know, she kind of comes into the scene where she, she does the thing, she tries to mend fences. It fails. She calls them both jerks and storms out. Not not great therapy maneuver there, Deanna. No, no professional, but I'm not sure that was appropriate. And then... Uh, sits with everyone else of like yeah i don't i don't think an army of therapists can fix this kind of this kind of ego problem so super genius uh barkley right who let's not forget for like one episode of tng was the smartest human sentient thing in the galaxy when he was like directly tied into the galaxy class uh computer core right pretty smart guy he uh comes up with a very ingenious plan which we won't have fully revealed until the end but he poisons the doctor's code, right? Because up until this point, it's the EMH wanting to help Zimmerman, the EMH being the person who could provide that care and Zimmerman being the stubborn uh, recipient to care. And let's let's not um, skip over the conversation that Troy has with uh, Haley and uh, with Barkley before 
the plan goes into action because that's kind of like where the episode turns in terms of really giving the audience a sense of what's going on, which is Troy points out, Hey, Hey, you're a hologram, aren't you? How long have you been on? Oh, seven years. So she's older than the Mark one. She was created before him. And it's like, so why is it that he's not disdainful towards you? Cause a part of his whole attitude is that he's disdainful towards the Mark one. Cause he's uh, out of date. He's not the latest piece of technology because they've been hinging so much of the episode on this idea of Zimmerman's hesitation as he sees the Mark one as an antiquated piece of machinery and not worthy to treat him. And that's when Haley's like, that is not the reason why he's pissed. <laughs> like the reason he is pissed is he put his heart and soul into creating the Mark one. And he thought so much of the Mark one and considered it his crowning achievement as a hollow programmer. He made it look like him and things did not work out with Mark one. And it became an obsession for him to try and fix it because there were all these problems or all these complaints. And, you know, he made the Mark two, the Mark three, and then the Mark four, but none of them look like him. Right. And that is just that that's the big kind of hint as to where they're going with this, that Troy has figured out what the real problem is right through this information. She picks up the ice cream of like, yes, sparkly do nefarious things. Now we have a plan. I, again, genius writing there um, that it's it's not just a injured pride, but it's a, a genuine want to help the galaxy and to, to think so much. Uh, to be so proud of this and then to be humiliated uh, and have all of the work called uh, not only a failure, but to see your children then punished as they are uh, reduced to, to, to slave labor, um, you know, mining away in hazardous situations. Yeah. The, the best scene of the episode comes down to the grand confrontation that the EMH has with Zimmerman, where he finally lets all of that off of his chest. Um, Cause the, you know, the doctor's malfunctioning. Zimmerman is called on to be the doctor for the doctor. They start to connect a little bit. And then Zimmerman tries to like force all of these improvements on the EMH uh, that he sees as its flaws. And he, the EMH is like, says, no, I don't, I don't want you to change me. Do you not understand? Like, I like who I am. I wanted you to be proud of me for what I have become. That is why I'm fucking here trying to save your life. And that's when he finally lets everything you're saying out, which is this was, this was something that he cared so much about. And not only was it a failure, not where they were called emergency medical hotheads or extremely marginal house calls, to you know like make fun of the emh interestingly what you've just named there is not mentioned as any of the memorable quotes in memory alpha that's how bad memory alpha is at this point because that those were amazing lines to come out and like to really drive home the humiliation that zimmerman went through on this thing and then the line at the end that really seals it is do you because they refuse to decommission him which is super cruel yeah, so Starfleet's like, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna waste all these copies of software you've made. We're gonna go ahead and put them to work and waste transfer barges instead. And he he's like dejected, sitting on this couch, just like looks like he's just 
you know, he's already in the makeup to make him look near death and everything else. He just says, do you know how humiliating it is to have 675 Mark ones out there scrubbing plasma conduits all with my face? Like a constant and eternal reminder of his abject humiliation and failure forever. What's interesting. <laughs> what I like about the scene is that. So, so, so again, we're, we're kind of skipping over some stuff. So, Barkley poisons the EMH code so he starts going on the fritz and that's what prompts the Zimmerman to like okay I'm gonna fix you you're here to fix me but I'm gonna fix you because in the end even though I've had all this resentment and this hatred that you might have interpreted and uh, Haley the lab assistant even says like you're making progress he won't humiliate or tease people he doesn't respect so even though Zimmerman's pushing back you can still see that there's part of him that likes the EMH despite of everything else. Um, and, and he fixes the code and he says, okay, uh, I've, uh, I've not, not only have I fixed you, I'm going to improve you. And you see where Starfleet has broken Zimmerman and made their assessments, like forced their perceptions onto him where he says, you know, this is a flaw. This is a flaw. This is a flaw. These are all the reasons that the review boards gave me when they shot the Mark one program down and branded it a failure. And you've got the, the old style Zimmerman, which is the EMH saying, no, I, I like all this stuff. This is fine. I can still be effective. Uh, this is the way I want to be. And don't hate me for these flaws just because this is what Starfleet broke you with. And I, I thought that was a very interesting exchange there as well. It, the, Zimmerman finally unburdening his soul allows a doctor to make the connection to say, yes, all of the other Mark ones are scrubbing power converters, but I am in the middle of the Delta Quadrant doing what you designed me to do and more. And because of that, I can save your life. So this you were you were right in the end, like you made something that mattered. The lives of everyone on Voyager exist because of you. And this is how you're going to get paid off, right? Like this is this is how it all comes together for you. And he he finally says, "Okay, yeah, I'll let you treat me." Pump me full of that Borg pixie dust. Uh, there's some stuff we kind of skipped over that I still think's worth mentioning. Uh, there is a last will and testament where Zimmerman starts bequeathing his most prized possessions to people, which is basically everything going to Barkley because it's a bunch of holograms. <laughs> Right. Like, uh, get, I guess my uh, obsessive compulsive holographically addicted friend is the one getting all of the my sex cool, toys. My cool I don't know who uh, Tom Paris is. Otherwise, I'd be giving some sex toys. I really liked the mention of unique holographic art he has come into possession of. Some which NFTs. Is, yeah. That's what I put in my notes. I was like, how topical. <laughs> how topical. He's got some NFTs, baby. Um, but yeah, man, like how cruel of Starfleet <laughs> you're in the peak, you know, post scarcity society, utopia of the Federation. Like, hey, here's these doctors. We don't like them. Let's turn them into fucking muck slaves, like real dick moves, man. And again, we never really clarify. I guess we have like the holograms aren't just software. It's that box on the wall as well. I wonder if. I wonder if uh, EMH mentions to Zimmerman, hey, by the way, I've got 24th century tech hyper technology and like 
I go wherever I want. I do what I want to do. I mean, you would you would assume it would have come up in conversation at some point. He would he would definitely not hide that. It's not like it's a fucking secret, right? Does he, uh, you know, while they're arguing and being thrown out of the room, does he like take the time to call Joe Carey's kids and be like, hey, guys, got some bad news. <laughs> Your dad's dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or he will be at a future date. <laughs> see the future yeah so uh, the episode wraps with a successful hey we we got him to take the, his meds he's gonna be okay and we're gonna ship the doctor back to the delta quadrant and um you know he has a little little memento of a photograph of the two of them and the doctor's like hey kid you should write me next time there's a data thing we just keep in touch you know they make the connection the father-son connection that the doctor was looking for it's fucking beautiful i love it there's not a ton to talk about like plot twists and turns in this uh but it's just a great story i only got about half a page of notes because i was just busy watching it and enjoying it if you have not watched this episode you need to watch even though we just spoiled all the the best parts but uh i i can how many times have you watched this many times I don't know the exact number. I certainly rewatched it. One one of the ones I rewatched more recently before we started doing doing the show. It's just it's, good. Yeah, it's just good. Uh, I don't think I'm quite as in complete love with it as you are, but uh, it's certainly among the the best episodes of this season for sure. The thunderous ability of Robert Picardo um, to portray both of these characters and particularly Zimmerman having to make him feel lived in and explored even though that exploration was relatively limited before this episode uh cannot be overstated and uh the last scene in particular he just crushes it you took a character that did not exist prior to the first episode of this tv show and they were able to give him such a great backstory with this story just detailing like where the rest of his family. Why, why couldn't Chakotay get such a good family backstory like this? What a shame. And also great supportive supporting character moments. Uh, Barkley. Yes. Perfect. Perfect vehicle to, to like set this up. You know, uh, I really liked Haley, the assistant. I really mm-hmm. like where this can allow the series to go in other directions. When we were watching um, that rancid poop Picard and the uh, the the soon type android slaves of Federation's using in the future, you mentioned uh, that at some point the EMH is going to write a book and that book ends up in the hands of the other Mark one slaves. And maybe there's a slave up yeah. like, like this go like who came up with the idea of enslaving the Mark ones. Was that Picardo? Because if so, like, way to lay out you know uh a path to some other fun stories yeah the the ethical questions of use of ai as a tool versus use of a uh, respect of ai as a a being like a, a sentience something with rights uh you know is something that trek boldly touched upon uh, long before any other kind of popular science fiction television show would would dare, uh, but also punted super hard on really unpacking those questions in in depth. And uh, I, if I had to, uh, 
it's I don't want to say it's the most disappointing part of Picard because there were so many other things that I feel <laughs> were worse. But the fact that that just was not at all something that the writers seemed to even be aware of before they started writing that show uh, was uh, one of the many core uh, systemic failures in play. We'll put it that way. Speaking of core and systemic failures in play, what are we watching next week? Ooh, really? Is that going to be a bad one? We're getting back into season sucks. Uh, season six, episode 25, the haunting of duck 12. And I see what's this board children peeking in the shadows. Neelix becomes extremely agitated as Voyager begins a full shutdown before entering a peculiar astronomical nebula the last time we had a scary moment on voyager was uh was it the expanse was that was that the first time we met the uh the garbage pail kids uh the necrot expanse no 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 the remember the space trash haulers and then there were like the the tootsie roll people hiding in the shadows oh yeah 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 god that was a while ago now I'm just going to get mad about some weak shit going on there with I'm not helping that poor planet beholden to nuclear fucking hell pollution. This is often called one of the worst episodes of Voyager. The Haunting of Deck 12. I, I have grown to not necessarily respect these kinds of statements because so many of the episodes that were supposed to be horrific particularly early on in the show turned out to be not so bad compared to some, uh, shall we say forgotten messes, (laughs) some forgotten turds that wound up on our doorstep. Um, so upon rewatch, we'll have to judge if that's true or not, but this is not a well-regarded episode. I want Jonas with dead guy makeup, walking through walls and doing some ghostbuster stuff. I want everybody who's died on Voyager (laughs) And a lot of people have died on Voyager haunting him. That give, give me a real haunting episode. Like, yeah, this part of space makes ghosts real. And and really, I just want Martha Hackett back on the show. So I mean, you're going to get your wish. You're going to get your wish. Space Martha Hackett. Hack- space Hackett will occur space again. Ghost. Yeah. And it will not be a ghost. It will not be ghost Hackett. It will be it will be the full Hackett. But, you know, be patient and we'll get there. Well, I'm excited to get into a turd because we've been we've we've been subjected to several very good episodes in a row. And I think just two. (laughs) Hold on. Don't 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 overstate your case. We uh, we were was fury two weeks ago. I liked I think I liked fury. What you liked the Kess's terrible return. I liked most of the episode minus the. I, I'm sorry. When I'm thinking Fury in my head, I'm thinking of our excellent rewrite where it had a totally yeah, bad ending. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what you're thinking of. You're thinking of us fixing that episode, not what we actually watched. Listen, the ideas were so good they transcended um, our notebook and our podcast of 200 people listening. It's 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 the Netflix now. It's the 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 Schuster cut. I like it. <laughs> Fury the Schuster cut. Mm-hmm. It's four hours long and extremely self-indulgent, but everyone likes it. You got HBO Max, right? <laughs> but we will see everyone next week as we review The Haunting of Dark Twelve. <laughs> see you then. <laughs>